Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me today, Mr. Sean Cunningham. Sean, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, James. Just navigating this weird, wild, wacky world that is the Sacramento Kings. Um, coming back from this one in three road trip, and oh, there's just nothing to talk about, right? Yeah, I feel like uh, what is it? The the police officer on South Park. Nothing to see here. No, nothing at all. Move along. <laughs> nothing to see here. Um, okay, look, the cool thing about being on the King's Beat is that we have our uh, we have the ability to just drop everything and let's have a discussion. This thing is spun out. The Kings <laughs> are one and three on the road trip. They're six and nine overall. Uh, the the beating of the drum is getting louder and louder. Luke Walton is on the ropes. Sean, just uh, first and foremost, let's adjust, let's address that. Um, hmm. Is Luke Walden in, in fact, on the ropes? Uh, everything I hear is yes. Uh, where are you at with this? Or just, you know, without, I, I don't think anyone is going on the record at this point and saying, yes, it, it's going to happen today. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen the next day. But we're all kind of feeling that, uh, that moment, right? That if things don't turn around very quickly, that Luke Walton will no longer be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. I mean, and Luke knows that, you know, Luke's a big boy in this business. He's been around a long time. You know, his father's a legend in this business. Unfortunately, his father, you know, was never on the coaching side of things where he had to deal with the, the pressures of winning and losing and all this stuff that an owner and a GM and a fan base can put on you. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of predictable, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's uh I like to go back to the discussion we had on uh, on Tuesday, which is, you know, them talking about how they can't sustain long losing streaks. And when they already kind of give you the blueprint and the, and, the, and the expectations and the goals ahead, and you could sit there and, you know, maybe say, oh, only 15 games and you're going to make this decision. Well, well, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's how things work. I mean, it's a, it's a results oriented business. Um, you know, on one hand, I've praised the 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 message of that, that's come from the Kings front office and, and praised the continuity that they've took into this season. But make no mistake, like when you go on losing streaks, like things change a lot. And it's not just it's not just the losing streaks. It's also kind of the way they're doing it. I mean, De'Aaron Fox pointed out last night and I, it it almost came off as one of those um, more telling comments or almost like one of those things where you know you're, you're saying this comment as almost like a as fuel to the well we're not that bad but it really makes you look bad to say that you had leads in three of the four games that you that, you know or, of the road trip you go one and three and it's like yeah but that who cares like you could have won you could have led to nothing at one point <laughs> you know what I mean like the lead does not matter the fact that you pissed away an 18 point lead to Oklahoma City that's a little bit more staggering. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Luke knows, he knows the, the pressures of this build, this business chatter is going to increase and you have some, probably some ideas and some, some, some possibilities that you might be curious about that, that could pertain to an interim head coach, but all the while, you know, as we sit here right now on Thursday at, at 11, 26 AM, uh, Luke Walton is still the head coach and, if he gets into Friday and they win, maybe they split this homestand, you know, if they can show that they're a 500 basketball team and, and rattle off some more 
stability here, then yeah, maybe this chatter goes away. But I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think it's going to be something that even if Luke Walton is still the head coach in February, I think it's going to be hanging around this team a lot, like this little dark cloud above it, you know? Yeah, it kind of does feel like that, like any major slip up. And, and at this point, I don't think we know what a major slip up means at, anymore. Like, does that mean, I mean, clearly nine games, they're not going to let anyone get to nine games. But right. I kind of feel like we may have got to the point where four games or maybe even three games in a row is you're showing a fragility that no one wants to see, that everyone thinks you should be better than what you're doing and you need to figure it out. And, you know, Sean, it's really like watching the Minnesota game. Like you kind of knew whoever decided to come out and play with force in the second half was going to win. And the Kings did the same exact thing that they've done so many times this season where, you know, one guy is playing really hard then, you know, Buddy Hield catches fire and like, you so there was some sense that maybe they could fight through, but you know, they, they just made the, the silly mistakes again and again. I mean, the first half to me, like we saw so much of the softness of this Kings mm. team that we've yeah. seen in the past and the passes were soft. The, the defense on guys like Pat Beverly was soft he just bully balled his way right to the what rim. A what a difference that guy made. I yeah. Mean, and to me, it, it was just lunch. like, yeah, <laughs> he did. He stole your lunch. And you were waiting for that moment where one of the Kings would respond. And I thought Fox really did respond. I thought Fox played really well. He wasn't, I didn't see him getting bullied by Beverly. I thought it was others that were getting bullied. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and they, they threw some hard picks at him. I mean, even late in that game, Carl Anthony Towns with that, that, that elbow right into yeah. his side you don't see fox take hits like that um you're right i mean it wasn't coming from the guards they were throwing a lot of bigs at him and they were trying to they were trying to rough up De'Aaron fox um we haven't really seen a lot of that because usually it's them imposing their will on other players that are a little bit bigger but also soft as well yeah. and uh, we, and we've seen that before but this was a little bit different and i think you know that's just a i hate to point out the obvious last game of road trip and this you know Minnesota looked at this team as a they they circled the Kings and said this is a get right game. Yep. No, I a totally very talented agree. team. Yeah, yeah, very talented. They're very talented. And you have to know that if one of them gets hot and then just they just need one more. And they have so many players that can get hot. They've got really, really elite scores. And uh the way that the Kings came out in the third quarter and allowed uh, cat just to get off like right away I mean seven points in the first couple of like seconds of the second half mm -hmm. that's when it was like oh boy like this I, is I, the had, team. I had a hard time watching that game because the entire time I'm thinking to myself both teams are so equal right now you're both terribly yes. ter you're shooting awful you both can't buy a bucket you're turning the ball over the Kings actually won the rebounding battle which was like the biggest priority because Luke tinkers with the lineup and wants to go bigger. They won the rebounding battle. Uh, they got Cat into foul trouble so early. And then I thought to myself, why aren't you going into the paint? Why are you settling on these awful, just awful jumpers? Like Again another, and again uh, and again. But that's that's like the whole season, Kings. Sean. Yeah, yeah. It's the it, whole it, season. Like he can sit, like he, and this is, this will be critical of Luke and the coaching staff. Like you can sit there and say, okay, we're going to change our lineup. We're going to stop playing small ball. We're going to take an emphasis on rebounding. But how do you not like, 
look, I know it's, it's a three-point shooting league. You're not really that built for three-point shooting, though, right now. Like, you just don't have that, especially when you don't have a lot of playmakers. When I mean, we kind of go back to that conversation. But it's like, when you're, especially when you're going big, why are you still shooting all these threes? Like, you're going big. Get in the paint. You got them in foul trouble. Get in the paint. Yeah, I, I can see that. And then, you know, they got they did get bullied by a couple of guys in the paint too. Yeah. yeah I thought that, you know, again, going to Chemezi Metu, I, I like that Chemezi shoots threes. I like that he spaces a floor, but when he's not hitting, you got to do something else. And then I saw him try to force some things and it was like, mm-hmm. Oh boy, that's not what you're, you should be doing either. And then Luke had like, you know, the cartoon giant hook reached out there and yanked him <laughs> off the court so fast. But then you give a guy like buddy healed leeway to go. Oh, for nine. Right. And it got so bad that he missed, he misses, he goes over six from three to start. Then he can't hit some bunnies. Then it's like in his head and you're, we're just standing there like, and, the, and okay, then he shoots him back sideways. In, and then he shoots him in the game. Yeah. You live by the buddy. You die by the yeah. buddy. Like it, yeah. if that's not the way the, the game should work though, it should not the entire offense or the entire outcome of a game should not be predicated on whether buddy healed can hit his shots consistently throughout a game. And that's just a, the way this team is right now, you, you know, again, you had Harrison Barnes really disappear for a long stretch. Mm-hmm. You had the guards not be able to get to get the ball to Rashawn Holmes. And, and I think in this game in particular, it was because they just kept turning the ball over. You know, 100%. You, yeah. Every, every single starter had two turnovers. I think in the first half, every single starter and Tyrese Halliburton literally just handed the ball over like six times. Well, I think he ended up with four or five, five turnovers, but early in the first half, none of them were, were difficult. Like were they were bad live ball turnovers that were soft passes or soft handles. And we're talking about the Minnesota freaking Timberwolves. Yes. Like, I mean, look, they're a talented team. I don't, I don't mean, but it's like, they were one and eight over their last nine. I think coming like in. there's, there's playing to your opposition and then there's just being stupid playing yeah. to the level of competition is like every team does it, but it's almost like they've never seen a scouting report on Patrick Beverly or Carl Anthony towns, or even Anthony Edwards who went off in that fourth quarter. Yeah. And you know, look, I, I feel it. I, I feel, especially when we talked about, on Tuesday, which is I'm telling Kings fans just to relax, just take a deep breath, like don't yeah. live game to game. But this is this is the type of thing that like when you get a collection of these games and especially the way they've been losing, and you know it, it's almost like this rambling. Like I'm sitting here, I want to throw darts at a, at a at a bulletin board right now because it's like so many things you could talk about. This one and three trip, um, the 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 fact that you look at this team and we've talked about their void of playmaking, right? but then you struggle to shoot the ball or excuse me. I'll get to that part in a second. You're void of playmaking. Now you're going to try to change your three guard lineup to be a better rebounding team, which you're not really good at to begin with anyway. So you're not a good rebounding team, but you're going to try to improve in that area. You've already had this emphasis on defense, which you're not a good defensive team, but you want to show progress there. So you get that. And then, Oh, by the way, like you're supposed to be a really fast team. You're supposed to, you've got a Ferrari and he just doesn't run. And, 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 the team doesn't run or they're not built to run, or I don't understand how that switch gets flipped, but the pace just isn't there. So like, what is this team through 15 games really good at? Like, what is their bread and butter? Where do they like, yeah, you have a level of compete. We see that, but that's, that's like 
the bare minimum, right? That's the prerequisite for the job. So that's the assignment. You need to compete and play hard. What does this team excel at? And I don't think I have an answer for that. And then you mix in poor shooting on top of all these areas where you're not really great at as a team. Boy, where does it get better? And then on top of that, like you think of, okay, we're going to double down on some of the things that, that this Kings team added and showed in a small sample size in the second half of last year, right? Well, two of those guys that you brought in that you re-signed, they're not even part of the equation. And I'm talking about Mo Harkless and, and Terrence Davis. They're out of the rotation. They're not even playing. Alex Len is, is right. halfway in the rotation and halfway out. So, and, and we yeah. talked about how Luke is tinkering a lot. Like he, he's really grasping at straws, trying to find anything to help his team compete and something he can believe in. And I don't even know what the sample size is. You, I, I know he mentioned yesterday, like Chemezi Metu will be a starter for five games before they reassess. Okay. <laughs> like, like, sure. Why not? I, I get it. But it, but I've told you James and Tuesday, I was like, I'm tired of seeing a Kings team that still has a lot of question marks around it, go into games and have to adjust to what the other team is doing, as opposed to just saying, this is what we're doing. You know, it, it's funny because they talk about exactly what you're saying, but from the other side, they we're only concerned about us. We're only concerned about us. And then when you get in the game, you see the concerns change. And mm -hmm. I get that Chemezi Metu probably is, it deserves at least a look here. And I'm okay with Chemezi. But what I'm not okay with is if you're going to go with Chemezi Metu, why does that mean that Mo Harkless is out? Why does that mean that Marvin Bagley is also going to, if you're going to try to improve your rebounding numbers, maybe you improve them by adding a big man like Chemezi Metu to the rotation and then not giving up the defensive end and leaving Mo Harkless as your second there and, and sort of balancing that back and forth. Like I get making changes. I get trying to figure out and tinker, but at the same time, I, I kind of feel like you do that. Maybe they, they just kept adding things to the pot and then they kept thinking, okay, well maybe we'll just keep adding more because we got some weird taste in there and we'll try to get that taste out of it. And then by doing that, they get, they put in a different taste and now both tastes are in there and you're like, okay, it's too salty and it's got too much of something and we don't know what it is. And so they keep tinkering. Now, again, I'm not going to like Luke Walton does not have a, a solid nine man rotation that he should, no. he should run out there every single game and that's it. But he does have talent and I don't want to excuse the fact that I think this team has talent. And it, I also feels, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no I was, it feels like Luke is that, that, that guy at the circus who's spinning plates. Right. And he, and all oh, this one's starting. I got to come over here and I got to spin this yeah. one. I got to come over here. And, spin. and it just doesn't feel like there's a, like, even when they were five and five, James, we could still, there was plenty to pick apart. Like it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Oh, I mean, totally. Fourth quarters were just abysmal, and it was there. I thought they were lucky to have won some of the games that they had won. So it was not like it was like even even my whole quoting Jay Z was all good just a week ago. It was, but there were still things to be concerned about. But like right now, for a team that that wanted to double down on continuity, <laughs> they just don't have it. Like it's just so like you're not really married to anything. So. You know, I know Luke has talked about it and he's showed his hand. Like he's talked to everybody. He said, we're going to need everybody this year. You're going to have to stay ready. And that, and of course, every team will say that, but 
Now, literally everyone has to stay ready in this circumstance because I don't think they know what the hell they're doing in terms of rotations, in terms of one game to the next. I think there's things that in theory sound better than they are, but there's a lot of adjusting on the fly. And I think that, that the sample size that they're going to give it, you know, night in, night out, like you mentioned, like we talked with Chemezi, a five game, let's see what this looks like for five games with a starting unit. Then what? <laughs> like, like if you're, let's say you get your head kicked in. Well, then, then what are you going to do? Well, Sean, you brought it up on Tuesday. There was a moment where the Kings had back-to-backs. I think, what was it? Uh, Utah and... Phoenix. It was at home. No, uh, no. no. Or, sorry, Pacers Utah and, and Pelicans. No, no, before that. Oh, before that. Yes, yes. They, they had a home. They had a road and home. They were in Utah. They flew home the next night. They fought Utah all the way down the stretch, came up short at the end. They fly home, and then they they played the, the Pelicans and, and came away with a win, right? But in those two games, Walton cut down to eight people. Mm-hmm. Then he came back like two days later for their next game, and he played 11. Like if you're, if you're trying to like string something together, stick with what's working and then slowly pepper in more. And I know sometimes you get to a game where the personality is just wrong and you're like, oh no, we, we've got to start. This thing is almost over. Let's just run a bunch of dudes out there in the second quarter and see if we can mix it up and, and break this thing open. Well, maybe that's staying the course is something that would be more beneficial long-term than, than tinkering and tinkering. So like, I want to blame Luke for the tinkering aspect. I want to blame him for sort of chasing because I think that's what they're doing. They're chasing problems. And so you have rebound problems. So you overreact and now you've got, you know, no assists. So we got to chase that problem. How do we figure this? You know, we're not hitting shots, so we need to do this. Like it, that's what I, I kind of feel like they're being reactive as opposed to proactive. And so that's a problem for sure. And we just so everyone knows, anytime you hear us pause, it's because both Sean and I get a tweet <laughs> notification. Well, and it's we're not like, even that, but my phone just keeps blowing up for stupid reasons at the moment. And it's just yeah. really taking my attention away. Yeah. But we're like, hang on a sec. Is this happening? Is it happening? Okay. So, Sean, let's get to some of the nuts and bolts of what we have seen. So, first up, Tristan Thompson. Uh, he's a guy that, that has played sporadically throughout the season, but we understand when he's going to play and when he's not, when there's a big guy, he goes up a, a stocky guy. He goes up against a stocky guy. When there's a super tall guy, Alex Lynn gets to play. We kind of get that right. Mm. But Tristan Thompson from the opening of camp has been one of the huge personalities behind this team. He's been a guy who every time he steps in front of a mic, we all like turn our attention directly to him because what he's going to say, whether it's smoke or or it's straight up facts, he's gonna speak and he's gonna say something that's that at least sounds very insightful. He had he held court after the Kings loss on Wednesday night. And you know, Sean, I think we're just gonna run just a a, a couple of minutes of that and I'm not going to bleep out. How about that? Everyone knows. I'm, I'm going to warn you now. <gasps> I'm, I'm not going to <laughs> censor Kristen Thompson. 
I'm just going to drop the audio file in right here uh, from two different clips from Thompson. And you're just going to have to deal with the fact that he dropped some F-bombs. And We're all grownups uh, here. Yeah, we're all grownups here. Uh, I'll make sure. Grab, that grab your popcorn too, because it's yeah, entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. Um, there is some uh, like a Glory Road reference. And we'll just come right back after that. And we're going to delve into that. And we're going to actually, we're going to jump straight into the business of basketball because we've seen this show before, Sean Cunningham. We've seen it mm. before. So let's roll Tristan Thompson. I'm going to say this. I think um, no no man in this world should rely on another man to inspire them. Point bank player. You could put that in all capitals. I, I Me personally, no one should ever need a coach to inspire you. If you don't get inspired in a the game, then you shouldn't be on the court. Losing teams, losing players, you need to get inspiration from your coach. And I'm not, I'm not with that shit. My teammates better not be with My teammates aren't with it. Because I know, I know guys want to win and they want to win badly. So it's not about Coach Wallen inspiring you. This is not no freaking glory road shit. No, you got to be ready to play. Your number's called you in the damn game. I don't need no fucking coach to, to, to inspire me. Never that, never have, never will. The day I need a coach to inspire me is the day I'm fucking retired. I'm going to go play with my kids in the park. So uh, I speak for my teammates with, with that quote. So we don't need no coach to inspire us. I know Towns is a good player, but... You know, we had a game plan for him, and yes, you know, you want to force him left, but if he gets right, your teammates got to have your back. You got to help your team. It's the same way where if I get B and I want my teammate to be there, I got to be there for him. That's part of being on a string, and that's how you build a defensive mentality. And the league is fucking hard. It's hard to win. You know, we don't have the luxury of having, you know, that that, that go-to guy like a, like a LeBron, a Kawhi, or a PG, or a Jason Tatum, or Luka. We got to win collectively. So those little things – like with, with Towns or even with Anthony Edwards, we got to shrink and show bodies and make them second guess the move they're about to make. Um, I think I think everyone's frustrated. I think for me, you know, the player I am is, you know, energy, effort, hard work, punch the clock in. So, of course, I'm going to be frustrated because I know what this team is capable of, and that's because I care. At the end of the day, I care. I want to win, and I care about my teammates, and I know – what we we can be so the frustration is from from a place of love and a place of uh, you know tough love but also because i know where we can be if i thought this team wasn't shit or had no potential then i probably wouldn't feel the way i feel but i know what this team is capable of i know these kids everyone i'm not gonna call guys kids because they're grown men but i know each and every guy their heart is in the right place and they want to win every guy in there wants to win you know it you see it in their eyes i've been on teams that you see quitters, you see losers, just straight out losers. But this team has guys that, that want to win and want to do something special for this city. It's just we just got to come together and we just got to really learn from those mistakes and really make sure we make it a priority. And it's all of us. Me too. There was, there was a time in the game where, you know, maybe I should have pulled over or, or gave a hard foul. Like we're all we're all we're all at fault here from 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 the top to the bottom. We're all at fault. You know, we're in this together. It's no man on the island, and, and we ride the wave together, but also if we're going to sit in the shit, we sit in the shit together, and we get out of there. We figure it out. All right. We're back, Sean. Tristan Thompson, ladies and gentlemen. Tristan Thompson, everyone. Tristan Thompson. That was a spoonful of honest, um, profane, 
real talk. And sometimes real talk can be painful or taste sour or bitter or whatever the analogy that would go with the spoonful of medicine that he just shelved out to his team. I just hope he's saying that stuff behind the scenes. Like it's nice to come out and say it to the media who didn't play in the game and has to ask about it. But um, uh, hopefully, so hopefully some of his teammates heard it. Yeah, Sean, there was something very specific that Tristan said multiple times. And I'm speaking for my teammates. So number one, I'm hoping he is. And I believe that he is speaking for his teammates. Because if he's going to come out and say what he did and stand behind Luke Walton so thoroughly, and by standing behind Luke Walton, there, there's something that happens when you stand behind a coach in that situation. You're pointing the finger at yourself and the other 14 dudes in the locker room. Straight up, Tristan Thompson pointed fingers at his teammates. We have heard the mysterious my bad line so many times where people say, I'm just tired of hearing my bad. Stop saying my bad. And we've heard that. So whoever the my bad guy is, he's still there. He keeps saying it. He's so, damn sure still there. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna let you narrow down who might be the my bad guy, but that guy is still there, and it might you, be more than one that says that. But I'm gonna guess it's one. And so, do you remember? Do you remember what Michael Malone said about the my bad guy? Not this year's my bad guy. Yeah, you you uh, you tweeted that. Why don't you say what Michael Malone said? My, Michael Malone, and again, it doesn't have to be one person, but there's always a guy. My bad, my bad, my bad. He yep. recognizes. It, he thinks that's holding himself accountable. Mike Michael Malone, God love him, quipped at one point, "My bad, my bad, get your ass kicked." Yep. And as a guy who threw hands with with in pickup basketball games with with other members of coaching staff and front office members while he was at the, with the Golden State Warriors, I believe him. Yeah, <laughs> I I believe Michael Malone too, and, yeah. and we've all played with the my bad guy. Yeah, you know it's like, hey, how many times am I gonna let? Am I gonna hear my bad? You know, I played softball forever, and you know people can look and say, oh man, all you do is hit ground balls through the middle and line drives to right field. As a, as a right-handed hitter, I, I flare the ball to right all the time. Mm. And I just look at them and I'm like, do you not? I, in softball, I always get back to this reference. It's, um, I think it's from dusk till dawn. Uh, George Clooney has a gun it. and there's, he's got a bunch of, he's got a husband and wife and daughters like, a family that they've kidnapped in a hotel room. And he tells, I think he tells the wife, uh, he's got a gun and he flips it open and he makes sure it's loaded. He flips it back. He said, I have, I've got six little friends and they're all faster than you. Yep. Right. So when I play softball, it's a line that I, I quote all the time because there are four outfielders. There's four outfielders. Like if you pop the ball up, if you hit a fly ball, there's four of them. They're going to get you. They're going to catch the ball. And so for me, it's always like guy flies out and it's like my bad. And it's, they look at me and like, oh man, you don't hit the ball far. It's like, but I'm standing on first base every single time you fly out. Every time you fly out, I'm and how standing many, and how on many first times, base. How many times did that dude hit it over the fence? Never. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> the worst thing that can ever happen in softball. Maybe once. Yeah. The worst thing that can ever happen in softball is a guy 
hits a ball perfectly. It gets the perfect backspin and it just sails right over the fence. That guy, you might as well cut him from your team and never invite him again. He thinks he's Jose Canseco now. He does. From then on, all you get is a really frustrated guy who flies out to center field every single time. And then so anyway, a tantrum when he, when he flies out. Yeah, exactly. That is your typical, my bad guy, you know, my bad, my bad. Okay. My bad. So there's someone there that's the, my bad guy, because Tristan Thompson's already met him and he's only been here for uh, 15 games. And I think there's more than there's, there's my bad guys, uh, plural. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. Many. I agree. So so the Kings need to fix that. But Tristan Thompson pointed a lot of fingers at the team itself and away from the coaching staff and said, look, it's not the coaching staff. And if you need the coaching staff to get you motivated, you know, I, I think when you're in high school, you might need a, a coaching staff to get you riled up a little bit. But I think more often it's your teammates to get you riled up. It's hitting people in drills. It, so, so I get what Thompson's saying. And then you have the other folks that are like, they respond on Twitter. Well, then what the hell is a coach for? And a coach is there to put in a system. A coach is there to switch people in and out of the game. A coach is there to hold people accountable when they, you know, chuck an ill-advised falling out of bounds, 18 foot jumper like Chemezi Metu did and deserved to get yanked from the game. That's what a coach is doing. He's supposed to be there for those moments being motivated, stepping on a court, getting ready to, to jump into a game, to check into a game. If you can't get ready to step on the court, that is a problem with you. Problem, for sure. Yeah, and, and that's what I get from him. I, I fully understand Tristan Thompson. There's, now, there's people who think that the win one for the Gipper speech is, every, is like an everyday occurrence, and it, it's, that's not the case. Like, even when, they go, even when losses happen – Sometimes the best thing is just to clear the locker room, just to, hey, we have film the next day. We'll talk about it then. No, no, no need. Y'all know you suck. Y'all know you lost. Y'all know. Just get on the plane, start having your fun, take, get rest, gamble, like whatever you're going to do and, and get the hell out of there. There's no win-win for the Gipper speech. There's no like going at halftime and be Gene Hackman and fire your team up. Like you have to pick and choose your spots. And Tristan Thompson, who isn't a coach, came in and picked and choose his spots. He went to, to, to speak for the team. He clearly had a message that he wanted to get out there. Which brings us to the business of basketball. How about Sean, that? Sean Cunningham <laughs> with the segue, the business of basketball. We like to draw back the curtain for the business of basketball. And this is one of those instances where we have a clear situation that we have seen before this is like the back of a shampoo bottle sean where it says rinse and repeat, <laughs> and repeat yeah we have seen this act before i thought you were gonna quote taylor swift i have we've seen this film before and we didn't like the ending <laughs> that there it is uh, sean quoting taylor swift james will never quote taylor swift because i don't know taylor swift songs well or jay-z or rick ross or <laughs> you can make fun of me all you want no no i just uh, try to, i gotta eventually i'm gonna quote someone that you get yeah yeah i'll get there um yeah i maybe it's possible it's possible <laughs> uh my point here is that look when things go wrong in sacramento 
we usually get a random veteran to come and talk to us. It's it's an age-old tradition, like going to get your Christmas tree or, you know, uh, whatever age-old traditions you do at your house. You know, every single time something has gone horribly south, uh, Karan Butler comes out to talk to yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like someone goes in the back and says, where's that wise old sage rattle his cage so he can come out and impart wisdom on these idiots in the media. Yeah. We look around and it's like, okay. Oh, Hey, look, there's Vince Carter. Vince, come on out. Come on out. We need you to go say some, some words. Oh, we got Garrett Temple, Garrett Temple. We know you had nothing to do with the 25 point drubbing you just took. <laughs> we need you Garrett to go out there and really give us a good one. This and I'm sure other teams do it, and I'm sure it happens in every single sport. But I like the biggest, most glaring one we ever saw, ever the worst situation we ever saw was the the Kings flew to Mexico City and played a game. I don't even remember who they played. Um, you know, I want to say it might have been the Pelicans, it might have been someone like that. They flew to Mexico City. And during a game, Rajon Rondo decided to say something horribly offensive and inappropriate to the official, which was Bill Kennedy. And it was not good. But no one from the media went to Mexico City. No one knew that it happened at the moment. It didn't come out until I think the next day or two days later when Bill Kennedy went to the NBA and said, look, this is not appropriate. This is not something I will deal with as as an official or uh, as a human being. I'm not going to deal with someone saying what Rondo Mm -hmm. said to him. So what happens? We show up at practice. We're in the practice facility at uh, the old Arco Arena. We're waiting for Rondo to come out. Rondo does not come out. Instead, his emissary comes out, which is Karan Butler, and proceeds to field our questions about what Rondo said to Bill Kennedy. And this is something that, you know, you you come to rely on these situations to happen once every year once every two years once every three years but sean this Karan is was that guy like it was so yeah. funny like i'm laughing because i had sort of forgot i hadn't forgotten about the incident i for, i actually had sort of forgotten that cron butler came out to speak on behalf of rajan and uh who didn't did not obviously and it didn't go anywhere rajan still we and he ended up addressing it like after a game because he had to speak at one point and it's like yeah well, you're, you're not going to get off the hook. Like it's not like the questions go away. The further you kick the can down the road, like, no, they're gonna, it's going to still happen. Yeah. If you remember, and I think it was the same season and I think it happened. I think it happened before this, uh, where DeMarcus cousins gets kicked out of a game and to DeMarcus's I know shocker. Right. But to, to DeMarcus's credit, like early in his career. And I don't know if it was Jeff Petrie. I don't know if it was other coaches, but when something would happen, DeMarcus would have a moment where he reflects and would own it and he would go out there and he would, he would speak for himself. He, he'd wear it, right? Like he, he mm-hmm. accountability was there, but when we talk about enabling poor behavior, the eventually when people wouldn't hold his feet to the fire or 
hold him accountable, then the accountability wasn't there. And and the moment that switched was when I think it was when Cron Butler came out to speak for Demarcus getting thrown out of the game. And it just it, like why are we talking to Cron Butler about Rajon Rondo? Why are we talking about Cron Butler about Demarcus Cousins? These are instances where we're talking to about two different people we're not talking after a game like what tristan thompson just did where he's talking about the collective effort mindset of the team defensive effort has to be there all that stuff we're talking about instances that happened to two individuals so there is a time and a place to send that wise old crazy sage vet out there to impart wisdom and Mm -hmm. say some things maybe had karan come out in addition to the person that (laughs) needed to address those situations we would say, oh, that's great. It offers further context. But when you leave someone like Cron Butler to come out and speak on their behalf, it, it just falls short, guys. Like it's it's hollow. It doesn't mean anything. Cron Butler's not the Cron Butler's not the one that did these actions. So uh, and we've had a number of them. You talked about Vince Carter, you talked about Garrett Temple, um, mm-hmm. Amon Shumpert. We had I mean Amon Shumpert was the thing that always the thing that always gets me about what happens in Sacramento with the Kings when it comes to these vets who will come in and be that guy is oftentimes those vets are the most, are the least impactful players. Like it'd be one thing if you, so, and I'll, and I'll take this back to the early two thousands when I started where, you know, those teams are in the Western conference finals. That was an older team. You don't have these younger teams like you do. I remember when it switched though, the, the year after making the playoffs, uh, in San, the final year making the playoffs in, against San Antonio, things changed. You had a Kevin Martin team. He was now kind of the face. Yep. Um, Ron Artest was now being, you know, he, he was going to be off and doing his own <clears throat> off to bet to Houston, I believe, at that point. Bonzi and, Wells decided not to take the money. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, which is always funny. He turned down $36 million. Yeah, you know, sorry I brought that up. Yeah, did, sorry, Bonzi. Did not work. Um, anyway. Yeah, it goes off. They go off. They do their own thing, and then you're looking around. Okay, who who are these guys? Like, who you, you remember when they when they traded for Katino Mobley? Katino Mobley came in and 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 offered something right away. He was impactful. But the long, the younger these teams got, they would have a veteran, and in these veteran presence, Chuck Hayes would be one of them at one point. Yeah, and I remember in the Demarcus era, it was Chuck Hayes on record. It's always great because, you know, you would talk to Demarcus, and something bad might have happened with Demarcus. And Chuck Hayes called him that crazy uncle. <laughs> Every family's got that crazy uncle that might do this or might do that, but you still love him. You know, you still yeah. love him. And he was right. It made sense, but at least you still spoke to DeMarcus about things. So, um, but a lot of these guys that come in here end up being so, they just don't have the impact on the floor to back up what they're saying off the floor. Tristan Thompson is a little bit of that as well because he's been so inconsistent in the time that he's been on the floor. But what did he say just weeks ago, James? I don't care if I'm in the game or not. My voice is going to be heard. I'll be the biggest cheerleader if I'm not there. Like he says the right things. He, he does. He had, he had a great veteran around him at certain points. He learned from, I mean, the guys played at all levels of basketball and had and played with arguably the best talent that we've seen in this generation in LeBron James. And uh, he learned a lot about what it took to win what it took to be a professional in this league. And even if he doesn't, I mean, look, he's got a championship ring. He walks into a locker room and they all want to talk about it. They all want to talk about what was it like to play with LeBron? What was it like to do all these things? That's a thing. Um, So in case people don't know that, that is a thing. And inside a locker room, like I know even someone brought their championship ring one time 
and it might have yeah. been Iman brought his ch- championship ring. It and was Iman. so, and so Corey Brewer responded by bringing his two, <laughs> his two NCAA rings. And Not it was for like, nothing, but it was a good idea. I see what he was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, we've seen this before, and, and I'm not, I don't want to say it's a tired act because, to be honest with you, I really enjoyed what uh, what we heard from Tristan Thompson. In my 12 years of covering this team, it was probably the most honest and impactful press conference that I have seen from a player, and I don't even think it was close. I think we've yeah. seen. You know, we see some fun moments with Fox where he drops some F-bombs. We see some really high-level intellectual conversations with Tyrese Halliburton where he's talking about whether it's politics or, like, social injustice. You know, we've heard some really powerful things from Harrison Barnes. When it comes to being honest about what is happening and what, what has to be said so everyone hears it, I thought that that was... Tristan Thompson hitting the nail uh, like on the head like tough tough love and those comments went everywhere I mean they they literally went everywhere a viral moment last night and and the crazy thing is it happened on zoom like we weren't there yeah you know what I mean and so and it took two hours to get the zoom video so while you had the zoom video up quick actually I think it was Matt George who had it up first and is it like 350,000 views but the the kings could not get the zoom processed it kept locking up and so i didn't get the video until like way later because i didn't record at the time which yeah. you have to ask permission it's it's like anyway we live yeah. in this weird little world but anyway but, yeah but it's strange that it happened on zoom but i think if i'm a kings fan too because i think there's a lot of things that people want to expect from deer and fox especially given the contract mm-hmm. and you talk about leadership and you know, we've heard it for the better part of these five years with De'Aaron and, and it's like, we want to see him, you know, like he was asked the, not long ago. And I think it was by you about going home. How does he wear losses? You know, how does he in the moment, like, yeah, does he get into guys? Does he yell? Like, and that's just not his, his, his makeup, <clears throat> excuse me. It's not his makeup. Um, he, he's more of a pick and choose, maybe lead by example, but you just see the differences in someone like Tristan Thompson, who might not be the most talented individual out there like Deeran. And he can resonate and have these things that he's seen. Granted, he's also played a lot longer, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot longer in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And De'Aaron hasn't, but yet I don't think he'll ever be that guy to where, where it's going to be this vocal leader, vocal presence, get in your ass kind of thing. I just don't see that from him. It's okay uh, and that's though. Okay. And it's it is. okay. Everyone's their own different way. So so while one is incredibly necessary, if it, it helps, it does go a lot further is if it comes from one of your best players. Yeah. And, and that's where it will really resonate. I think it's stuff that, that, you know, fans appreciate because they're the ones spending money and they're the ones investing their time into this. These guys get paid. So there is an expectation for these fans, this fan base and for people who cover the league that you should meet a certain criteria or a certain expectation and they just haven't and so when it when it is refreshing to hear somebody come out and call the team to carpet and i the biggest thing he sent from all that james and i don't the thing i liked most about it was he said we have a a, two home games coming up on friday and saturday another back-to-back at home and we know what those crowds have looked like of late they have not been good and he says we're going to need our crowd Yep. We're really going to need our, I mean, the encouragement of 
of the sixth man and how much they're going to be needed and felt for this for this season it's like that's that's exactly what you say because you know <laughs> we know like all these players have heard about what it was like in the heyday and what it's been like and you know what and king's fans have done a really good job supporting an awful product for the better part of the time it's years. been here in sacramento especially in the yeah. 15 years yeah and all of a sudden we're seeing those numbers decrease and kind of dramatically so um yeah, if it, 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 it does go a long way. The support for the team does go a long way. And I'm, I'm curious to see how it responds over the next week. Maybe not in these two games right away, because, you know, not, I don't know how people go out and just all of a sudden buy tickets again, but they look ahead to the holidays. I mean, typically December does pretty well because there's Christmas gifts and things of that nature that mm-hmm. people get, you know, so, so most families only get to go to one game a year because of prices. So um, it'll be interesting to see how, how fans respond uh, when this team takes the court again on Monday, on Friday. Yeah. I think that the, the attendance has been all over the board and it, to me, it's, it's kind of sad because the honeymoon is over with the arena. So you have this, this stretch, you know, where the arena means so much and then all of a sudden it, you know, everyone's been there. Everyone's done the deal. You know, they, they don't need to go see the arena as like one of the, but the bucket list things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so now the newness is worn off and you still don't have a good team. It's, it's why a lot of teams build a winner to open an arena or, you know, it's like the San Francisco giants when they open pack bell, everyone's like, what are you doing? Like they got rid of a bunch of guys and then boom, they, they had this whole new crew coming in to uh, the stadium when, when they were opening it and they were really good right off the bat. And, and so basically you're trying to cement something there where I'll say this, you know, uh, the Kings moved to Sacramento in 1985 from 1985 until I want to say that it was the year they made the playoffs in, in 19, in 19, well in 1985, but then in 1995, 96 season, they made the playoffs Mm -hmm. the next season they fell on hard times the season after that that was the first season where they didn't have 100 sellout and i think it was something like 19 out of the first 20 seasons were 100 sellouts every single night and so this fan base has been amazing they've stuck through a lot of craziness with this uh with this franchise but at the same time this is a hard time you're this is going to be a a huge moment in this franchise's history because we're in a global pandemic we're trying to come out of it but you know not everybody is on the same page with what's happening some people don't feel comfortable going to games some people go to a game and then they feel really uncomfortable that they went to a game because mm-hmm. the the rules and regulations aren't being followed by everybody you don't know who's around you um you know and, and then so, let's face it some of the people who go to the games just don't want to deal with the rules and regulation yeah, they, they don't want it. And not only that, but if you want to bring a two-year-old to the game, you have to go have a COVID test for your two-year-old and they have to wear a mask the whole game. Although they're not wearing masks, just so you know, a lot of people are not wearing masks inside the arena. Um, where a lot of other places, my wife just went to Disneyland with the boys over the weekend. They have mask police all over Disneyland. You are not allowed to go on any ride or you can do it like not wear a mask in like the public space. But as soon as you're in a line or you're on a ride or you're in a place, masks on. And mm-hmm. so there's just, I don't see that. I don't see that here at, uh, at Golden One Center. 
And I, I know even my son went to a game and he was sitting with some people and they said, and they said, Oh yeah, once you're sitting down, you don't have to wear your mask. It's like, well, what kind of sense does that make? Like that's when you need to your mask is when you're sitting in a, in a group of people. So anyway, um, I don't want to keep going down that, that path, Sean, uh, but Tristan Thompson's right. The Kings, right. They, they need the fans to show up and to actually try to be impactful and try to get this team out of their funk over the hump, whatever it is that, you know, you want to call it it's happened. And I think we're on the, the precipice of disaster in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, with when it comes to this team in this season. And, you know, I hate throwing away seasons. I hate throwing away years of guys' careers. And then I also look like, hey, Harrison Barnes has been really good, but are you going to waste another year? If you don't succeed at all this season, have you opened up the potential for him to go, like, look, I don't want to be here. I, you know, I've got one year left on my deal, either find me a new home uh, where at the beginning of the season, when they're five and four, I think I almost wrote the piece. Is it time to extend Harrison Barnes? You know, but if this is who you are, he's not going to want to stick around for another additional two years. And then you're like, well, are you going to get value for him? Are you not like this thing could get really dark really quick. And that's what I hate seeing. It becomes baseball at that point where you get to, you're like, are you contending? You're not. And then it's like, all right, now you're selling off. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, or you're the Oakland A's where you just sell off because <laughs> you hate your fans. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's, too soon. That, that's somewhat I, different. I, yeah. I, I touched a nerve there, James. I yeah. Apologize. You touched a nerve, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you get to the point like in like, and I don't know that you can, that, that this franchise can afford to do that. Like, and I think I forget who it was, but, it echoed some of the things that we've talked about here, which is you've made a lot of changes to your roster, but they're never really the ones that are your core pieces. The last time that you did that obviously was DeMarcus, right? You, you, you shipped him off before any injury that he had and before, you know, in the, when he was still the best big man in the game and he was an Mm all-star and we're not going down the line of, did they get enough for him? But you do still have Buddy healed from that trade and you don't have, of your core pieces, even if you establish who your core is, which might change from year to year, um, you still have De'Aaron, you still have Buddy, you, a lot of these guys that you've invested in, and you're not any good, you know? So it's That's still in the fear, right? Right. And, and I think there was the there was the thought that some of those could work out. Like, I think De'Aaron has that trajectory. You paid him well, handsomely enough and all that, but you can't have a young nucleus, right? It just rarely, seldomly does it work out. You need to have somebody a little longer in the tooth that's that's, that's just also an established NBA player and um, that's in the prime of his career. And that's not what the Kings have done. They don't bring in those types of players. Uh, and it's, it's hard to attract. It has to be done through trades and they haven't been able to do that yet. And I think a lot of people were expecting that this past July Certainly I was expecting an off season trade that had some magnitude to it. Yeah. Uh, I was asked the other day, like, do you think changes are on the horizon? I said, I, I thought changes were on the horizon back in July. So yeah. um, I-, I think right now, kind of what we talked about over the past week or two, which was, I think a lot of things really hinge upon Ben Simmons. And I'm not saying necessarily that, that, you know, to Sacramento, but you're saying, right. yeah, he's everything is the just first kind domino. Of an, it's a holding pattern. And yeah. until, until maybe some teams recognize that they can't concern themselves with what happens with Philly and Ben Simmons, 
And I think we're probably getting to that point, but I also feel like you got to get through Christmas because Christmas really kind of not only indicates the start of the NBA season to the common fan, but it also gives you a strong enough sample size to know what you're, what any team is going to be. You're about 25 games in at that point. Well, that uh, and Sean, December 15th is the first day that you can trade players that you signed as free agents during the off season. Exactly. So a guy yeah. like Mo Harkless cannot be traded until December 15th. Alex Lamb yep. cannot be traded until December 15th. Not that the Kings are rushing out to trade either one of those guys, but they also, I, I don't think that there's a, if they had to trade any one of those, they, they would, but you can't actually include them in a deal until December 15th. And people say, well, that seems like, well, why should we worry about that? Well, it's because you might be trading with another team that has the same exact concern, or you 100%. have two teams that have the same exact concern where they have players that they cannot trade until December 15th. So um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think we are getting to that point where you're starting to know who teams are and who they aren't. And then you always have teams that, they have this, this struggle, this lull, and then boom, they take off. It was just a momentary lapse while they're trying to figure some stuff out. And then they, they climb out of it and they, they excel. And I'm not sure that the Kings are that team, but I do know that the last couple of seasons, Luke Walton's groups have started slow and then they build up to something. Now, Sean, I want to bring up one last topic. I talked about this on uh, D'Lo and Casey on uh, let's see, what was it on Wednesday? And I, I think some people thought I was being super cryptic. The, where we're at right now is, is a dark place, but it's a place that we've been so many times, uh, as, as guys that cover this team. And that is, you know, we we see change, we see change coming. Um, my, my concern is that now I'm going to sneeze. There he goes. <laughs> Oh, you've got good sneezes, man. You got the I do loud audible ones that even made the dog bark. Yeah. And usually (laughs) there's two. Um, So, yeah, the buildup, the buildup to what I was about to say. I have contended for a long time that there is a core issue in Sacramento that they cannot figure out. And I think people always think that I'm pointing fingers at one specific person and Oh, he must be talking about this specific person. And that's not the case. For my money, I watch this thing like build up, fall apart, build up, fall apart, some little bits of success followed by long periods of darkness. It's they have this issue that they allow people to come in, they give them power. And the power corrupts them quickly. And mm. the kings don't know how to stop the corrupt when someone is corrupted. So it goes back to like ultimate power ex- corrupts. Yeah, do you have an ult- example? Ultimately. Of course I have an example. I I, I could just rattle off a bunch of examples. Um, I thought that the Pete D'Alessandro era was tainted by someone getting a taste of power and and then like doing things that didn't make sense. Uh, I think Brandon Williams, again, got in the door, started grabbing at power, started climbing up through uh, the ranks. And next thing you know, it became destructive mm-hmm. and not just destructive for like the immediate people around him, but destructive overall. The reason why Dave Yeager was let go 
right. was was very specific. It was because he and Brandon Williams got into a massive battle and they would not let it go the entire season. And Pilate decided to get rid of both of them as opposed to deal with the problem. Also, just a little caveat, they weren't going to extend him. Well, of course not. But yeah, he he they weren't going to extend him. But at the point when he got let go, they should have extended him. Yeah, because he had the, just yeah, put up 39. Just... They were on a path that would have, you know, led to more success. Right. And so, look, at this point, I don't think that I see like the one person that I worry about. And I call it like it's Littlefinger. You know, it's the guy oh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, from Game of Thrones. It's the person who whispers in the king's ear and who causes problems behind the scenes that fester and take over. And that is the problem that I think this team, this franchise has to figure it out. They have to, you cannot have a, a management structure that no one in the league understands. You, you know, and, and I don't know that there's one bad seed right now inside the Kings that are fighting and doing, but there's always someone who's willing to say that Luke Walton's job is on the line. There's always someone who's willing to say, you know, that if, if this coach doesn't win this many games, he's going to be out. You know, there's always someone who's willing to do that, but not put their name on it. And so it's those moments where it always draws me back to this same thing. Have a path. Figure out what that path is. Stick to that path. And again, I'm not pointing at any one person. It's just when something happens repeatedly, you keep doing the same exact thing. That means that there's a larger issue. All we see is the symptoms of an underlining disease. Figure out what the disease is. Fix the disease. And move forward as a franchise that can actually function properly and find success. Does that make sense, Sean? It does. It does. I see where you're getting at too. And if anyone thought you were being cryptic, I, I think that that it's uh, that you're not because I would say right now things from a organizational standpoint, pieces in place, like it almost replicates that of what other good teams have. Maybe mm -hmm. smaller numbers compared to bigger numbers, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that could, that makes a lot of sense, but. I would also I would also argue that it's not so much the power as it is ego, and I I'll, I'll use an example there. Pete, to a degree, thought you meant Pete D'Alessandro at, at a certain point. You mentioned um, I think Pete, to a certain degree, tried to placate to fans and tried to do something to which no GM would ever do, and, and try to be this accessible type of person and just felt yeah. like he could be honest. And I think there came a little bit of ego there and he couldn't help himself. Like he didn't know where too far was too far. And there were some faults of his that, that kind of blew up in his face. Like use, getting on a, a bus with fans and telling them that your point guard wasn't a, a real point guard and that you needed a better one. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that, maybe, it, it, maybe yeah, I mean, that, I that might be what you're talking about. Something like that. Yeah. That may or may not things, have happened. Several yeah. things that he did on the radio that just, just didn't need to, didn't need to do that. Um, yeah. Look, hindsight's always twenty twenty. even if they're best intentioned. I'll, I'll use Vlade. I've always maintained that, look, they brought Vlade in not to be a general manager. Mm -hmm. They wanted to put him over the basketball operations for him to hire a general manager because Vlade, Vlade brings everyone together. You know, Vlade knows what he doesn't know, but Vlade also puts a lot on himself 
to be able to try to fix problems. I can fix this. I know this. I can fix this. And you get drunk with ego, not allowing yourself to take a step back. You hired your boy in Peja, you know, not that Peja was terrible, but I'm saying that that's what cronyism is. Like coaches hire the people they're comfortable with. When you had Monty McNair did it with, with, with his staff too. He's hiring people he knows who he's comfortable with. It's not unusual. You're supposed to do that. That's why you have control over your, you know, front office. If you're a general manager, your coach has control over their staff. If you're a head coach, but Vladi's biggest failure is he never hired a general manager. He tried to Scott Perry didn't work out. Mm-hmm. You let him jump back to New York, go to New York to be a GM there. Because even though he was hired to really be an assistant GM, he was your GM. Brandon Williams was hired to be your assistant GM. He was your GM. Give them the title, the power, give them that. And then when that didn't work, he tried to do it all himself. So I think sometimes the power and the ego are, I think ego almost supersedes the power because um, (laughs) these, these jobs don't usually last very long. So a lot of these guys want to do it their way and it just hasn't worked out, you know, and it, 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 look, there's no formula. There's no, there's no cheat sheet for a lot of this stuff, but continuity will go a long way. And I'm not saying don't fire Luke Walton because certainly if they did it, it's not going to come as a surprise to you or I, I thought he was gonna get fired last year. You know, I Mm -hmm. really did. I was on record as saying, you know, for watch a little. So, and then again, that's why I credit Monty for the continuity. But if you fire him 15 games in, stranger things have happened. It's not going to surprise me. I would almost agree that he probably deserves to be fired. Um, would I do it? I don't know. I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, I probably would be. You you mentioned a, a minute ago, James, about what does it take? Like, is there a losing streak? Is there a, the one thing Luke Walton has not lost that we know of at this moment is the locker room. Yep. So if you have everybody using your analogy, pulling that rope or rowing in the same direction, that's a positive. Even even with this, you know, janky start through 15 games, um, he hasn't lost the locker room. Wins and losses might not be where you are or where you want to be, uh, but that depends on your expectations of the team that was put forth. I've talked about it. Like, I, I didn't have high expectations for this team. I thought they would medal around 20, about around 500. And again, 10 teams get into a play-in tournament. You get a play-in tournament, and then you get make the playoffs. If you're in the top 10, you're making you're in the discussion. So um, it's going to be a long season. And I also feel like when it, th- this should be a reminder too. Like people were talking about the depth of this team. And I always argue there's depth, and then there's quality depth. And just because you have someone that's capable of playing a position doesn't necessarily mean you have quality depth there. So I think there's a lot of learning moments for a lot of Kings fans and maybe some media to that regard, because again, I'll be, I'll be the guy over here. Who's constantly just until I see it, I'll bet the other way and more times than right, more times than not, I'll be right. Um, And that's not that I'm rooting for it, but I just, you have to see it first. No one can just look at this team on paper and say, Oh, sure. That's going to, they're, they're going to, they're going to be a a perennial playoff team. You know, you got to get there first. So I, I'm going to make a couple of clarifying points. Number one, I I do not believe that Monty McNair is the type of person that I'm talking about that is someone who's going to rot your core. Actually, I think Monty McNair is a a very good hire. I think he is the right type of hire and the right type of 
people that you're bringing in. I think he's a good guy with good intentions. His intentions are to make this team better, to move forward with this group and to, to try to succeed where others have failed. Um, I, I also believe that, you know, of Vlade's faults, I'll put his, his being someone who can broker peace with just about anyone that's that's fine, but when you can't broker peace between a torn relationship, that's not a fault. That's not a failure on you. It's a mm-hmm. failure on them, and that is where I think if he would have just made one, if there would have been a point in that season with Jaeger where he realized that they were on to something and that it wasn't him who was on to something, that it was – Sure, his young team that was just his young super team. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just young. His his super team just young. If if it wasn't like the ego that said I built that, and it, you acknowledge the fact that Dave Yeager had sh- completely changed his entire style of play and was doing something he'd never done, and was finding success, and you saw someone who was still causing problems behind the scenes that's where you should have chosen one or the other midway through the season and seen if that would have released some of the stress and allowed you to proceed, uh, you know, in the right way. And so I, I think Vlade, like his fault wasn't that so much that he like had a huge ego about what he was doing. It was that he had a huge ego about his ability to, to be a peacemaker. And when he failed at that, it was something he was not used to, and he did not know how to handle that situation. And his answer was to just, you know, eliminate all of them. The problem that I have, again, I'll just keep saying it. It's like Littlefinger took like six seasons to kill, right? Right. He was a great character. We all he's, a, he's a great character. Yes. But how many other people did he get like killed because of what he did? And the problem is, if you can't see it, if you can't see that there's a problem and that there's someone who, like, grasps at something that isn't theirs, then other changes need to be made. You know, if you have a blind spot spot for that, and clearly the Kings have a blind spot for that. That that is my point. And until they figure out why they have that blind spot and they fix that blind spot they're going to keep having the same exact issue. And so I hope they figure it out. I hope that, uh, you know, we see something magical happen here and the team turns itself around and they find a path forward together. Um, But, you know, here we are. We're 15 games into the NBA season and we're already having this discussion, Sean. (laughs) We're already having this discussion. We're on the the psychiatrist uh, chair and feet kicked up and trying to, you know, trying to go through all these ills that surround this team. It's uh, it's it's only 15 games. This season's going to be a season. Yeah, and that's what we're here for. Like Sean, I, I think that that's that's the cool thing about what we're doing here at the Kings Beat. I'm I'm gonna give you my Kings Beat spiel. Number one, go subscribe. Uh, and if you like what we're doing, do a paid subscription because that actually does help. In order for us to do all the things that we're doing, that is a one avenue that does actually help tremendously. Um, but I think the fact that you have two guys who have about as much knowledge as you can have about this franchise, you know, we're talking about a combined, like 
32 years of experience covering this team, Sean. The fact that we can, we can sit down with our lives. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. That we can have a high level discussion and try to let you in on some of what our thinking is and what drives us and what we see and the explanations that we can. And even, you know, again, the business of basketball, we've seen this play before we've seen the Tristan Thompson moment before. Was it, as powerful as what Tristan Thompson said? Heck no. I thought Tristan Thompson was off the charts good, but we've seen it before. It's the same playbook and it's happened like four or five times. We got to figure out why we keep having the same playbook. And and, and that's where we're at, Sean. We're at, we're trying to figure out how do you move forward? How do you move forward as a franchise? Because if not, you keep moving backwards, hoping that you're moving forwards. And that isn't usually a recipe for success. Well said, man. I agree. All right. Well, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, actually, you know what? Uh, just to kind of leave on a lighter note. Um, oh. Uh, one of the things I like <laughs> about this time of season is the Kings are one of the absolute best teams, not only in just the NBA, but in professional sports when it comes to their season of doing good. Yes. And uh, later today, I-, I love, you know me, James, I I love showing the other side of, of professional athletes, especially when they give back, because I don't think enough attention is brought onto them. So today is actually the first of a long line of stuff that is both made public. Some of the other ones will not be, um, but you've got uh, the, the organization jumping into their season of doing good. And we're going to see the likes of Davion Mitchell and Rashawn Holmes in South Sac today with the boys and girls club, as well as the Sacramento Sheriff's department and they're going to be getting people's uh, helping out the less fortunate with some uh, holiday dinners for Thanksgiving, which is coming up next week. And uh, uh, it's going to be cool. It, it, it always tips off a great moment in the coverage that we do at ABC 10 and stuff. I like to kind of shine a light on even, but going back to my radio days and uh, I have a lot of fun doing it because it really shows the personalities that are in this environment. And it shows you a different side. Like one of the things, love them or hate them, you know, there was DeMarcus cousins and, one of the mm-hmm. things people love to uh, to show off in his in, in the many good things you would talk about him was his genuine uh, approach to the community and wanting to do a lot of things for good because he you know had a pretty rough upbringing himself. So uh, it, it's fun to see the other side of an organization and some of these players that you root for on the floor and we criticize whether or not they should go in the paint more, or get more rebounds, or shoot more threes, or do whatever. And then you see what the good that they're doing off the floor. And I like to, I like to shine a light on that. Yeah. And I'll even throw um, one of the best stories, Ben McLemore, really his upbringing um, just is such a struggle. So, and I mean, he's lost so many people in his life, even his, his brother who was here for a long time with him uh, unfortunately passed away. uh, I think what, two years ago now, um, the reason I bring up Ben McLemore, Ben McLemore used to go around the neighborhood with his brother mowing people's lawns so they could get enough money to go down to the corner store to buy like the three cent pack of Top Ramen so they could eat. Mm-hmm. And for him to be able to pay that forward when he, when he made it, whether you think he made it as a basketball player or not, I'll tell you. He's made it as a human being. His mm-hmm. impact on communities in St. Louis and in Sacramento and everywhere else that he's gone, giving, doing backpack giveaways and 
all of these things that, that it, it's really cool to get to see because not everyone had the greatest upbringing. And like, I I've dealt with so many players with incredibly horrifying stories of their upbringing and the way that they're able to make their struggle into a positive once they make it is just, you know, spectacular. Even a guy like Harrison Barnes, who we yep. joke around is a Senator Harrison Barnes. Senator Barnes. Up, he grew up in the boys and girls club. He grew up there. He was there every day after school that helped raise him into the man that he is. And for him to be able to give back, it's just, it's amazing to see that, um, that these guys do actually mean a tremendous amount. And the Sacramento Kings mean a tremendous amount. So whether they're winning or losing, they mean a tremendous amount to the city of Sacramento, just the things that they do and uh, the good work that they do and all, all the people behind the scenes that are doing that work it is really spectacular who help those players look really good. Uh, there are a lot of people that go into, into uh, having that message really come off the right way. So yeah, it all culminates in the season of doing good, but their, their efforts go 365 throughout the entire year. And it's uh, you just get a lot of really cool, unique, fun uh, moments during the, uh, during the holiday times as you know, whether you're seeing a Jason Thompson, DeMarcus cousins dressed up as this, you know, six eleven, six ten Santa Claus, <laughs> things like that. I, I look forward to it. It's, it's, it's to see the smile on a kid's face. There's nothing better than that. And uh yeah, it, it, you, like you said, James, it means so much to the community. These, this organization does, and to see, you know, everyone loves the guy that says, "I want to be here in Sacramento," but the guy who wants to be in Sacramento, as well as show why he wants to, you know, to, to have that kind of connection with the community, especially during a time, James, where we haven't really been in contact with our neighbors, our community. Um, a lot of divisiveness. You got a pandemic, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a moment where thing people are able to kind of gather again, and so it's fun to see that, uh, especially, especially right around these times. So I can't wait. It's going to be a, I'll, I'll, I'll still harp on it in the future, uh, podcasts coming up of all the activities that they have. And, uh, can't wait to be able to bring some of these stories to light, especially, uh, on news 10 or on ABC 10. You got me saying news 10 again. Jesus. <laughs> I, I've ruined you. I've ruined you. Sean Cunningham from ABC 10. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. That's right. All right. Ching. So again, thanks for joining us. I well, Sorry, we had to throw you a curveball here, um, but sometimes what is happening is so much more important than like bringing in a guest and having an evergreen podcast. This is one of those moments where, you know, there needs to be a lot of explaining, a lot of sitting on on the psychiatrist couch, and uh, we'll we'll try to get you through all of this mess as it unfolds. Because look, we're we're in chapter one of a of a I don't know. 82 game book right. or chapter 15 of an 82 game book, I guess. And there's a lot of twists and turns that could still be ahead of us. So uh, thanks for joining me, Sean Cunningham, as always uh, amazing work and uh, you know, big shout out to the Kings beat and ESPN 1320. You'll catch me on the show tomorrow with uh, D'Lo and Casey, and I'm sure we'll dive into some of this stuff and I'll try to keep being cryptic. So then that way we can talk about it on the podcast, like two days later. I so love it. you can all freak out and get weird and, you know, block quote me on, on Twitter, and then I'll explain what I actually meant. Uh, but thanks for tuning in to the Kings beat podcast. We'll see you next week.